Hello, and welcome to Doing Time, where humans talk about their experiences in a psych ward. Today we have comedian, actor, person, writer, producer, Matt Brown. Welcome. <laughs> I'm really happy to be here, and I'm really, thank you for that eulogy. Because I feel like I'm at my funeral, and you just remembered everything I did. They asked you to speak last minute, so like, yes. Yeah. Give me five Thanks. words to describe yourself. Um, young, beautiful, thick, rich, syrupy. <laughs> um, hell yeah, Matt. How are you? Well, first I want to say thanks for being on the podcast. And also, it's quarantine. Um, definitely not doing this at Laugh Factory, R.I.P. Um. <laughs> yeah, they're like totally boarded up. No one's getting in there. Like, if Curtis left a pen yeah. in the office, he's screwed. I was just like, like a cat <laughs> scratching on the door. Let I'm me like, in. Let me do my podcast. I think I have a check for $40 in the box <laughs> office. Can you check? Yeah. Uh, I wish I had a couple of those. Wait, wait, wait. It's Matthew. <laughs> it's not Matt. No, 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 no. Not Matt. No, no, no. Look it in the back. under my other last name. Yeah, because sometimes I sign the check sheet as Diana Ross because I'm drunk. So, okay. <laughs> so, okay, I, you've listened to a few episodes. The first question I always ask, I like to get right into it. We only yeah. have, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Well, with us, it could go over for sure. Oh, honey, we can't stay on a topic for shit. <laughs> um, the first question I always ask is how much time have you done? And a lot of people, that's like how many times you've visited the hospital, how mm -hmm. long did you stay there, or like how long have you been in therapy, or like... Um, just not having a good time. It just, <laughs> just how much how much time have you done? It's really an, a subjective question. Yeah. Well, I have not had the hospitalization experience. Yeah. Um, I mean, I did kind of emergency self my room one night, but, like, I got out of there because, you know, <laughs> I, I know how to talk my way out of shit. I'm like, I'm, I'm not letting you uh, commit me and stick shit in my ass. I'm scared. Because <laughs> um, I always That's think that... That's the immediate thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. honestly think that, oh, wait, if I tell anyone how crazy I actually am, they're going to, like, put stuff in my butt. Like, that's immediately, that's just right, that's right where it goes. And, um, which, like, sometimes I'm open to, but, like, not often. And, um... Not if it's a surprise. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's not a gotcha moment. I'm not, I'm not into that. Uh, don't come from behind a corner. I'm not okay with that. But I would say I've been, like, like, actively dealing with depression, like, since I was about 10. I, it's oh. been, like, really bad for a real long time. Um, it was like a lot of like child abuse that I didn't understand was child abuse. I just thought was life. And then when shit got real bad, I was just like, oh, okay. So this is like forever. Okay. Yeah. No, it's never getting better. And those, it gets better campaigns always sound like such a joke to me. Cause it's like, <laughs> you have parents and you live in a city and you, like someone's paying for you to go to college for who, who to yeah. get better for right. like my ass, like, Oh yeah, these student loans, my life's great. Like, mm, like yeah. I don't live in the woods anymore, but like, so childhood depression. Yeah. I mean, childhood I worked depression. with a lot of kids like at, um, uh, school for kids that, basically are trying to transition back into their homeschool. Mm -hmm. So, uh, okay, so typically it's a lot of autistic kids. Yeah. But a lot of the other kids have high anxiety, high ADHD. Um, I mean, ADHD that messes with functioning and, you know, socialization. But a lot of kids that are just depressed. And, yeah. you know, it's hard to identify because kids don't know that they're sad unless mm -mm. you ask them their emotions. They know that they're angry. But yeah. it typically comes out as anger. So were you angry as a child? Um, no, I actually did not get angry until 12. It turned on like a light switch. Okay, so but that's not that far off from 10. No, so a yeah, couple years no, later. When my grandma died, my fuse got really short. After that, I, w I, w I kind of, and I never let go of it. I still fly off the handle at a moment's notice, and I enjoy that. 
about your grandma and no, stuff or just like no just like th- th- that trigger like, I don't know why but her being yeah. dad was just like okay lights are on like house lights are on Did, I guess what, what was so special about your grandma I mean I know yeah. I feel like I'm interviewing yeah. Matt but I know a lot of Matt's stuff but I feel like every time I talk to you there's something new and that's what I like about talking it's there's a, always a new story there's a lot going on yeah there, there's a lot going on there's a lot going on yeah um, well my relationship with my grandma was really deep because she was like the closest thing I had to a mother who ever tried to take care of me but like also was like deeply racist and didn't like care about me as a person but she just like felt this responsibility to me and like tried to be close to me and it was more work than my mom ever did or my aunt ever did it was like not it was not an it was more of an obligation and not unconditional yeah yeah yeah. um like she adopted me when i was 10 and a half because she got cancer and she's like oh well if i die and he's still like his mother's kid anything could happen to his ass it wasn't like because my mom had had the drug issue and like it had been bad for like years but it was just like oh okay this might get like homeless bad i should do something and then when she did finally make the choice uh before that she said now you really got to tell me do you want to live with me or your mom because this is costing me a lot of money she told me that when i was 10 she told me that when I was 10, 11 You're years like, old. I don't know what that means. And I was like, like I, there was like a price on my head. Right. And then I didn't. So she, worthless. Like, it's like a, almost like a. I'm not a. Not you're feeling worthless, but you're not a person. It affects your self-esteem. You're not a person sure. anymore when no. you're bought like fucking slave. And then I didn't really go to school that much while she had cancer because I was taking care of her. Right. Like, and the rest of my family like fucking disappeared because there's a house Negro to do the job. So your education was compromised and your I don't understand grammar or science. Yeah. <laughs> Flat, like, I have a bachelor's degree and I'm like a good writer and like I'm really fucking smart. No, you made it really hard. But first. like, I yeah. couldn't, if you told me that like tornadoes happened because like uh, Tasmania has an economy problem, I would believe you. Like, I legit don't fucking understand anything about science in any way, because I didn't go to school for a couple years. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. But you, obviously, you've surpassed that now. But it's, it's like... I've learned everything I needed to know. Oh, I yeah. literally chose my major because I never wanted to take another math or science class. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I, but I feel like you it. almost, but I feel like you, like, fade, faked it until you make it, where, like, you actually do it. Oh yeah, because I, well, I'm I'm scary. That's like the big th- thing that I use. Because I've always been able to like freak out adults ever since I was like a kid. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of intimidated people, and they leave me alone. Yeah. Like, because yeah. I've looked like an adult since I was about twelve. I've been the same height and weight since I was fifteen. Yeah. I went through puberty in a minute. So okay. I've just kind of always like I remember being in middle school. If there was like a sub or secretary come in to hand something, they just give it to me because I just look like I'm in charge. <laughs> and I was like thirteen. Like, I, I'm, I, I don't mean to be, but I'm scary and I use it. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you A something. lot of people who are depressed, I think, are like that because you're so frightened and you're so uh, yeah. down that yeah. it's sort of like you're... Uh, it's like that cat reflex of, get away from me, like my claws are out. Yeah. And you, you have a lot of those tendencies, too. Honey, you've seen, yeah. me, you've seen my act. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, you know, I mean, grandparents are super important. I was going to ask you, so, like... What was the part, like, the, did you, okay, I have a couple of questions. Yeah. Did you realize that you were depressed, one, mm-hmm. and then, two, why, I mean, I know why, but, like, what do you think led up to your depression, or, like, why you were depressed, you know? I 
don't think I was aware of it because I didn't have anything to compare it to because nobody in my house was having a good time about anything. Right. And then also, I never had any friends in school until like about eighth grade. Mm. Like school was a very bad place for me. School was a very bad place for me until high school. Now I had a ball. Mm -hmm. But school was real bad. So I didn't have anything to compare it to. I thought like having friends that came home for me from school was something that happened on TV. Like I, uh, I didn't. You I were so not, far removed from like any normalized yeah and like upbringing and, well yeah and no, no normalized socializing because you're like you're not black and you're not white in an area where there's literally just that mm -hmm. and then don't have much money and right and if your parents are right and like if you're, you're, <laughs> you're it's socializing doesn't really happen like that exactly. i was invited a lot of places once mm. you see a nine-year-old with a truman capote impression and you lock your door <laughs> it's just it was a moment but like I feel it, I, I feel that, you know, especially having racist, you know, deeply uh, figures mm -hmm. in that situation would only make the acknowledgement of you being a person less. Oh yeah. So I mean, I still like unless I have makeup on, I really kind of don't get what I see in the mirror. Like I still kind of am not super like associated. Because it was never acknowledged. Well, it's like I don't know what I look like until I put it there. Because I, like, was just always taught, like, literally, they would tell me, you're white. You're white. Black people have brown eyes. You're white. You're not black. Don't talk like you're black. Don't say that word. You're white. Wow. And, like, so, but that's not what the mirror said at all. Like, to anyone with eyes. Yeah, like, it doesn't lie. No, so <laughs> I just couldn't make sense out of it. So I just kind of... It, yeah. that, that race that racist figure in like charge of everything I remember when my grandmother like I said she had cancer the surgeon who did her mastectomy who removed her left breast was a very experienced black man and uh, I remember hearing her on the phone with one of her friends saying I'm just nervous about having black hands on my body black hands on my body while I'm under anesthesia oh my god so that was like deeply ingrained in yeah, and like... It's not like prejudice, it's like racism. Yeah, it's like out loud. So, yeah, so my boyfriend, obviously, you know, my boyfriend's black, and... Uh, I've known him since before you did. I know. <laughs> and he was black he, when I met him then. <laughs> nothing's changed. Um, <laughs> He's he, not Sammy Sosa. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Jackson. Little Kim. Um, he, uh, he basically, he was telling me we were talking about, like, because I have a joke about how sales has affected my morals and I just will do anything. I'll bend mm. over for hundred bucks. So that's the moral of the story. So he was telling me he was on the phone with this woman and um, he was selling health insurance. Yeah. And he was about to close the deal and the lady was like, and the lady knows his name is St. James Jackson, right? Mm -hmm. And she goes, um, just make sure, you know, I want a really, really like well looking doctor. Like I want a good looking doctor. And he's like, okay, I can do that for you, ma'am. Like mm -hmm. for sure. Obviously like whatever. You yeah. Know, sales yeah. He'll say whatever. And she was like, make sure he's good looking and make sure he's really good. And he's like, I got you, I got you. And, and then she was like, make sure he's not black. And he was like, okay, we can do that. <laughs> it's like so uncomfortable. It's like, dude, how do you have the balls to even it's, say that over the phone to someone? First of all, ironically, he's yeah, black. Yeah. But also to say that to a stranger and then mm -hmm. just... It's just so interesting how people see it, so especially 
what's going on right now. It's a total, it's a total freedom. Because that's the thing, it's like they just genuinely, you don't say anything like that in public or to anywhere where they tell you it could be recorded and used for training purposes. What? Um, you don't say... Right before and then she's like, I have an idea. Yeah, like you wouldn't say anything like that if you ever thought anything bad was ever going to happen to you. Because chances right. are she's a white lady from Indiana who remembers yeah. being nine and seeing lynchings in the 40s. Exactly. And in the old. 50s. And he was, his, his, he was working with a lot of old people. Yeah. Calling in to get good health insurance plans. So anyways, I mean, yeah, that's to, just to not acknowledge your race. And then mm-hmm. I know you've had some experiences with, like, I don't know if you want to go into it. Obviously, you don't have to, but yeah. in terms of, like, how they would try to hide their race. Oh, yeah. No, they, uh, I did not know what color or texture my hair was until I was 19 years old because they shaved my head every week. They shaved my head every fucking week so I wouldn't look like a nigger and embarrass them. I played soccer for one summer and that was enough of me being outside all the time. They were real happy that I was a nerd. Did you get, like, dark? Oh, you have not seen how brown I get, baby. I get, I'm (laughs) really white right now. I will show you pictures. Like, I literally, you put me outside for two weeks. I even have pictures of me when I'm four. Oh, my God, I've seen that one of you last summer. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 the one where I have the glitter on and I I, I bleach my eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah, that's, like, that's how brown I get after, like, two weeks of being outside. Yeah, but it's, like, that's just disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And then how did that affect, I mean, I, I just want to hear from your end, like, mm-hmm. how did that affect your identity, your self-worth, like, things like that, and how you saw the world? It, it really made me have, it, it's weird, it, it really changed my view on, like, them and not so much me. Because once I really got around to the, okay, we cannot, like, the mirror's telling you what the mirror's telling you. Um, the fact that all your friends are this, you're constantly drawn to this, like literally you cannot be apart from the culture of it. Like that was always, why else would an eight year old be reading I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings? Like I, I knew something. Yeah. I knew fucking something. Right. Like my, my favorite movie was Waiting to Exhale. Like I was just, I was, I you know knew. So I fucking knew. What's so interesting about your story is it sounds like, do you ever hear like, well, because, you know, obviously going to college, you get a lot of these stories about mm-hmm. transgender. It literally sounds like that, where, like, they knew something mm-hmm. was off, or mm-hmm. someone was in denial about their real identity, and they had these tendencies that let My grandma took me to this. a share concert when I was seven. Okay, yeah. I mean... But, they knew. But it's like, but it's like, how did no one acknowledge it? You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't understand how that, like, that, that would deeply affect your it, it's that, self-esteem. Oh, yeah, like, like if, your, if, your they had, if they had any, honestly, if they had any education and self-awareness of, like, the impact of, like, all the 4,000 things that they were doing, like, if I was, I'm pretty sure if I was, like, straight, I would have been, like, a serial killer. Just because, like, I'd have a lot more violent and a lot less, they're an asshole. Like, I, I you know. Yeah. Like, Ingrained power. Yeah, yeah, Because, like, my brother that. punches holes and shit. Well, did when he was, like, my age. Yeah. So, like, I've never had a violent impulse. I honestly think all that trauma and abuse, it makes you just a different fucking kind of person. Mm-hmm. It makes me a different fucking kind of person. I'd say the biggest way that I think it carries with me now that um, it affects my identity is it was ingrained in me that pretty much black people are only useful if they're performing. My grandma did not want black people in her house. I remember one of my uncles threw me and my mom and my grandma out of a party because uh, my mom told, because this is before cell phones, it was like 2003. My mom told the guy she was dating, oh, I'm going to be at my uncle's, call me there, and then like you can come pick me up or like we can hang out after. And he threw us out because she had a nigger call his house. That a black person called his home and had his phone number. 
we were removed. How? Like... It's insane. So when it gets back to the performer aspect, my grandma loved black music. We really appreciated black movies, especially with my mom. My yeah. mom's the one who taught me about Richard Pryor. My mom's the one who taught me yeah, about Eddie Murphy. Yeah, and those are the best. My, my, <laughs> my grandma's the one who taught me about fucking Nat King Cole and Dinah Washington and great jazz music and, mm-hmm. and uh, great rhythm and blues music that she grew up with, like fucking Ike and Tina Turner when she was yeah. in high school. Yeah, yeah. And like she, we, that was very much unquestionably on a high level. So at that point, did you know, and it really is the best music. Yeah. I mean, because I, I took mm-hmm. a, um, black music and culture class mm-hmm. and literally went through the music from like the 30s all the way till now mm-hmm. and oh listen like curtis mayfield and aretha franklin curtis mayfield yeah, dude, isaac was, hayes yeah oh. and we listened to all that stuff and like it was one of those classes where i did enjoy the readings and i did enjoy Legit. learning about the culture and um that's why she got me in voice lessons the day after i turned 11 so january was, 24th 2009 okay so she was for all that stuff she was for all that stuff just not the people so it's Make like something selective. for me and get away from me. It's like selective. Yeah, 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 It's like those people who are like only for their kids who are gay, but then they're homophobic to the rest of the world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that makes sense. Like okay. she would like happily listen mom's to... Mom's mom, right? Yeah, my mom's okay, mom. Okay. I don't know my dad or Yeah, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I got two cousins over there that I found out on the internet. <laughs> um, I'm the side baby of a side baby. <laughs> And, um, but like, no, my grandma would literally put on like jazz music from the fifties, be like, Oh, Dinah Washington sounds amazing. Shame. She was a fucking drug addict. They're all like that. And then just like turn the music back on, just turn the music back on. And like, she was 32 and it was a sleeping pill overdose. That happens to literally anybody who doesn't eat. Oh yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, like when you're told you have to weigh 105 pounds and take like three sleeping pills, you don't wake up. Yeah. You just don't. Like, that's anybody. Yeah. I don't think that's a selective. <laughs> I don't think that's a Negro Heroin problem. Heroin only kills <laughs> I, I don't believe that's racialized. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, if, it's, at what point did you, like, say something or speak up? Because I remember there's one story with your aunt mm-hmm. that I wanted you yeah. to share because I, I think it's really powerful and it shows um, how... You can grow up with something, but you still are able to, like, later on be like, no, this is not right. Yeah. You know, because some people are, like, grown up with, like, religion so ingrained in them, and that all And they just accept it and don't think they have the option to challenge anything. Or just even share their opinion and say, I will respect you, but, Mm -hmm. well, with race, you can't really respect racism. But with religion, you can respect religion and then say, hey, I'm not into this, but I totally respect what you're doing. But with racism, I think it was really interesting, like, what happened. Like, if I started dating an Arab guy, you would not bring up Hamas to, like, three months in, and I would respect that. Like, like, there's a way. There's a way. Right? Um, But uh, I say, really, while my grandmother was alive, that was pretty much the deal. No one was talking about it. Um, And I think that's why they got the money, because everyone kept their mouth shut. I don't have that confirmed. But I think that's what the deal was. We need a Matt Brown documentary. Legit, legit. Take me back to the trailer park. I'll be (laughs) And you just see Matt standing in a cornfield, and he's like, so this is my bedroom? <laughs> in a ball gown. I'm wearing a ball gown. We find, like, one Cinderella heel. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then, like, you, you split the corn, and there's a twin bib. Um, <laughs> and then there's just one man with one tooth singing Home on the Range in the corner off key. Um, so here's my voice lesson. It's like two feet away. <laughs> and it's the guy here's with my school. And it's the guy with the one tooth in the hat. Uh, <laughs> this is my voice teacher for seven years. Um, so, 
so while my grandma was the alive, story. it was oh, a okay. silent. Yeah, 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 we gotta warm up to it. Okay. So, <laughs> um, and then when I got to live with my aunt after my grandma died, yeah. she made up that I was Cuban. Because okay. we... So she was slowly getting... Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, we were like... It was like the bisexual of coming out. It was like the, I'm on my way. Like... We were like, we all know he's black. Yeah, yeah, We're in a, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a coast this Yeah, way. we're... Yeah. Maybe he'll move out first. Like, Because like, oh, I, I was very much just like the burden that got passed around. Yeah. And so, like, they're like, we think it's human. Because, like, my mom, one of the stories that she would say, like, twice, was that it was... Uh, she got pregnant on vacation. Okay. When she went with her and her sister went to Florida. And so that ended up checking out. That was her way of like, we don't talk about this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then my aunt said, I remember your mom hanging out with two guys during that trip. I remember a white guy with red hair. No way that's your dad. And then I remember a brown guy. I don't know what he was. He just came out black from a ginger. And- <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> yeah. Just because that's what happens when you have a baby out of wedlock, they come out like this. Um, she literally said the other guy was like brown. I don't know if he was black. I don't know. He, like we were in Florida. I don't know. Cause my aunt is so white and so from the middle of nowhere. She can't identify anybody. One time she paused the TV and she said, Matt is Mariah Carey Filipino. Like she legit does not know who, who what anything is like, can't tell. And so she's like, he was brown. I don't know. You're probably Cuban. And then just like shut but it down. But it's annoying because they know. Everyone knows more than me and won't say anything because no, they're ashamed. No, but I'm saying they don't know well enough. <laughs> yeah. They know well enough to say, not well enough to say what distinguished race, but they know mm-hmm. well enough to be like, I don't like you and I don't want your people here. Definitely, definitely. They don't know what's going going on, but they know it's wrong. Yeah. And so then... That's, that's the selective part. Yeah, that's yeah. That's very interesting. That's the selective part. Yeah. And like also, what if I'd been half Mexican this whole time and they'd been racist that's for nothing? Go ahead, sir. What if I'd been half Mexican this whole time and they were racist for nothing? They're like, you know what? This is actually fine. Um, yeah. But uh, so when I got to college, I got my 23 and Me done finally because I had $100 at once, which had never happened before. That must have been a gold <laughs> pot for you. I mean, seriously. Yeah, because like, I literally had no cause idea. Because you, you have a lot of similarities to like, people who are almost adopted because mm-hmm. you don't know your biological father Mm-mm. and you weren't told your race Mm-mm. and you were rejected if you brought it up and you finally like do something on your own now to kind of meet that okay what am I yeah literally oh I remember oh fuck I forgot about this I remember when my grandma was still alive I was 11 she took me to the doctor and asked if there was a test and then he said uh there isn't but even if there was don't take it so he can write whatever he wants for college they literally think black people get to go to college for free and people live in the ghetto because they're lazy like that's Fuck, I forgot. So they want to use it to your advantage, but then they also shame you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, use it to your advantage once you can get away from me. Right. Also, (laughs) but use it to your advantage, and, like, it's just so interesting because it's so selective. There's no logic. There's no no logic. There's no logic. To quote my professor, Dr. Jahari Jabir, who's written many books, if racism makes sense to you, you are not looking at it hard enough. If the mechanisms of racism are making logical sense to you, you ain't looking at it hard enough. Yeah. You just aren't. Um, so I got my 23andMe done when I was 18 or 19, and I got the results back. And the joke in my act is I'm 60% white, 40% black, and 100% relieved. Yeah. Like, just, th- thanks, something, something. Wait, what you. are you going to say? 60% white and 40% black. Okay. Which, um, most biracial people are slightly more white than black, because pretty much no black person's 100% black unless they're from Kenya. Like I, like I, before my boyfriend who I live with now, I dated a guy who was as black as your stove and we like shared our 23 meals with each other. He was like literally so like just black butter. His skin was so smooth and dark. 10% white. 
And he was like one of the darkest people I've ever seen. And he was okay. like 12% white. So, like, so most mixed people are about 60-40. Okay. So, um, I got my results done, and I called, I tried to call my sister at first, but she was busy, because I think she just had a baby, and I try to make everything about me. And, <laughs> um, so then I called, uh, her mom, my aunt, and I was like, oh, I got the results from that test back, and she's like, oh, okay. And then I said, yeah, yeah I'm black and white. Sure. And then she's like, we finally know. That's literally what I said, I'm black and white, we finally have it figured out. She's like, hmm, so, uh... When do you think you're coming home again? Like, just not acknowledging, just like, do you want to come home for Halloween or do you want to wait till Thanksgiving? Like, just not acknowledging. Oh, my God. Just uninvolved, uninterested. Like, that was, yeah, literally, that's what, they shaved, that's what they shaved my head every week for. Right. To, to not And that's kind of you being like, I figured out your bullshit, too. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to admit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so what ended up happening, the story that uh, you wanted to get to yeah. uh, involves the rest of my family, because right. my sister um, has two kids, one's biological and white, and one's adopted, and she's black, and she's not black like me. She is brown and gorgeous, and there's no question. Yeah, she's dark-skinned, yeah. Yeah, she's stunning. Oh, yeah, I love she's her. cute. I love her hair and braids. She's beautiful. <laughs> and um, she, uh, we were on, uh, we were going on a family vacation to Mexico, and the kids were two and three, and really not a big fan of being being on a flight for five hours right. like their ears they're Go hungry figure. they're yeah. thirsty they're three right like, maybe like think again mm-hmm. yeah. and so like they were just kind of like they weren't even misbehaving on the flight even they were just like antsy and just like miserable but like yeah. they're, they're, they're kids yeah, and five so, minutes is like an hour to a child, exactly you know, so and so sense. we get off the plane yeah. we get towards baggage and the kids are like so happy to be able to stand right right like Absolutely. literally they feel like they have been just caged like veal like just sardines in a can and then they like <laughs> finally get to go out right. and then my aunt does not say anything to Charlie and she says oh Izzy just stop running around you're running around you're like a fucking monkey yeah. she called my baby a monkey she called my baby a monkey when her mother and her father were getting their luggage on the other side, so I would have been the only one that heard it, so that way it would have been... Fine. Yeah, just it quote fine. quote-unquote fine. Just fine. Just a non-issue. Right. Because she would never dare have the balls to do that around her mother. But uh, when Katie did bring Izzy home... <laughs> when Katie did bring her daughter home for the hospital, she um, did... My aunt started calling her Lucy, because she just liked that name better. Like that plantation name and then she got her like a white and blue dress like something out of gone with the wind that was like six months too big for her because she thought it looked appropriate and she called her aunt jemima baby (gasps) out loud and everyone just looked at each other and then just pretend like they didn't hear it and went on with their life that was like when she was two weeks old because they got her and she was 10 days old aunt jemima baby Mm -hmm. out loud out loud i will never forget that i will never forget that i remember the color of the paint on the living room Right. Like, I, I will never forget that. Right. I, I, oh, yeah. This chair she was sitting in was lime green and it had a matching ottoman with like red brown stools. Yeah. Like, I will, it's so vivid. I, I, I will yeah. never, ever forget that. Damn. That's fucked up. Yeah. So, like, that's what I come from. <laughs> How about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, wow. Do you. So, what is like, if I were to be like, what's your main diagnosis? Because I know you have depression. Do you mm-hmm. have anxiety from this at all? Or is it is it mainly manifest in like depression? Oh, it is an intense anxiety. Like I literally feel like everyone's like, I just feel so anxious and uptight, cooped up in my house with quarantine. I'm like everyone feels like I feel all the time. I can like literally yep. be outside on stage, terrified. Of what? Don't know. Just right. damn. 
Um, I honestly, because I don't really, and this is not uh, a message that is supported by Drew Lauren. This is my private opinions about my <laughs> life. I don't really fuck with therapy for me. Yeah. So I don't really have concrete diagnosis. Back when I had a psychiatrist, he said generalized anxiety disorder and depression. Yeah. I think I'm fucking bipolar. I am like reasonably sure. Because like. Bipolar one or two. I'd have to do more research. But no, that's okay. Bipolar one is like um, you have very high highs. It's kind of like what you see in the movies, mm-hmm. where like they're sleeping for like a couple weeks at a time and have like mm-hmm. really low lows. Bipolar two is more. It's less intense, mm-hmm. where you'll have those high highs, but you're not, you know, driving across the country. But it's more like it's more focused on how bad your lows are. It's a little bit more. No, it's really more. It's just more manageable. Okay. Like it's not as severe. It's kind of like if you have. It's kind of like generalized anxiety disorder mm-hmm. versus panic disorder. Right? I just literally, one's like you still have anxiety, but okay. the other is like this affects me in a very severe way. I just literally feel like everything with me, from one, my productivity to my focus to my anger management, everything is a hundred percent back and forth. Like I'm just I'm not stable to myself. Mm-hmm. Like I get a lot done, but like I can not write a joke for three months and then shit out twenty minutes. Like I'm just so and is back that and forth. At a certain stage in your life. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is that, mm-hmm. do you connect that with, like, okay, I can write 20 minutes, and it happens all of a sudden, but I'm depressed, or it happens all of a sudden, but I'm really, it, like, oh, Like, hyper. the great periods of productivity typically come with not too much sleeping, and then also, oh, like, well, right then, yeah. right before that is just, like, death and no motivation and can't move, can't Oh, move. so totally bipolar-related, because yeah. typically your highs right, happen right after your lows, because mm-hmm. you're never in a constant, like, okay, I'm fine. Nothing, mm-hmm. It's not up and down, it's just mm-hmm. kind of a flat line. So if you're, you know, feeling... Like, this happens right after mm-hmm. I'm in bed for a month. Yeah. And then the other thing that I've noticed with age is uh-huh. that my uh, depressive episodes get worse. Like, the highs say about the high, but, like, I've had two, like, long-term, just, like, I'm not doing well, like, low periods. One lasted almost an entire year. It was one of the most, it was one of the busiest years of my career. It was fucking weird. It was the year I did Lincoln Lodge six times in one year, and I was like, I can't move, and I just want to sleep, and I'm calling in. I'm fucking three strangers this weekend, and I'm calling in to work for two days, and I hate everything. Yeah, did you, did you, like... I mean, that's that's a long time. Are yeah. you a high-functioning depressive? Because I have to be, because I've always had three jobs and, like, yeah. a 20-show-a-month calendar if yeah. I was feeling lazy. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've just always... I don't... Because I didn't move here to crash. Right. I didn't give... I did not give up the best friends I ever had in my entire life and uh, the, uh, the sense of security that I had there and uh, the safety that I had there. Mm-hmm. If I can come up here, uh, get myself into a bunch of debt and fuck it all up. I am too risk averse. That makes you more anxious though, right? Oh, honey. I'm so up fucking tight. I am so uptight. And especially because like I was like groveling poor for so long because mm-hmm. I've never even had like that like family sending you like a hundred dollars a month or paying your phone bill. No. Like no, I that's literally not how- you have it. As no. soon as I got out, I was on my own, mm-hmm. and I needed a, sh- a stupid job where it was always going to be that I could get out by 5 o'clock mm-hmm. and never have to do weekends because I needed to do comedy, yep. and so I worked at my fucking school for $11 an hour. Yeah. Like, so, like, I learned to be great with money, but, like, it's anxiety-produced. Oh, my God. Do you know how much more anxiety I had when I was making way no less yeah. than... When my first job out of college, to it, I was only there for a couple months. Versus now, it's like it's just your stresses are way different my, when you finally have a okay, decent yeah. job. That's what people don't understand. It's not that I was thinking about this on the way I was coming from 
St. Joseph's house on the way here, and I was like, it's not that having more money makes me happier. It just puts my stresses in other areas where, like, the finances aren't really stressful mm-hmm. right now. It, it could be. Who knows? Who mm-hmm. knows? But right now it's good, and maybe later it won't be, but it's a completely different stress. You come home and you're like, okay, am I eating this for dinner because I can prepare this for tomorrow? Now I'm like, I can afford to eat out. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Yeah. Before I was like, I had meal plan, and then I would bring my lunch into work because, you know, now I have, I work at Grubhub, so I get free food all the time. Yeah. That's a huge thing. Like, people don't realize, like, Me that's a huge thing. Me and my sister were just talking about this. She's like, Matt, I used to have to make... $50 stretch at the grocery store for me and my husband for a week when I was still in my master's degree. And he still had a shitty job where he made 30 grand because he wanted to help people. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, fuck that. You to be if you ever want to help ever. anybody, just take a cold shower and move on. Like, just stop it. <laughs> Fucking stop it. Get a job, like, making bullets. Have no or, morals, get yeah, a job. Get a job making bullets or attacking children. That's where the money is at. <laughs> like, poisoning children and, like, shooting them in overseas is where all the money is at. Sorry. Sorry. Become a hitman. That's Matt it... <laughs> Brown's advice for the episode. Join ISIS. Do whatever you gotta do. <laughs> ah! What? I'm oh, sorry. I... Ah! What? Sorry. I just... I love the music. Our next diagnosis <laughs> is Tourette's. Um, <laughs> no. That, that, what? You haven't heard the drills in the morning? Oh, no. <laughs> it's so wor- it's worse than, like, synagogue music. Like, where? Your house? No, 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 no. I'm saying, like, the ISIS drills. Oh, like, my God. The crazy, the, like, the crazy, like, 6 a.m., just, like, 400 people. Like, <laughs> just the loudest Arab oh church music God. you've ever heard. <laughs> uh, one time I went on a date with an Arab doctor at his house. He was so smart. Oh, God. I love listening to smart people talk. Like, that gets my dick hard. Just like, yeah. That gets my dick hard. Oh, if you're really smart and you don't speak English that well because you have great ideas and you're, like, working to get them out. Oh, my dick's hard. <laughs> so, I was dating You this... help them play, like, you, you just have a dictionary instead of Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Dictionary <laughs> app, just like this one. And he played me a 40-minute, like, song in Arabic because he's like, this is dance music in my country. And I'm like, oh... It was, like, literally a 40-minute mix. He's like, she is the equivalent of Barbra Streisand in Saudi Arabia. And I'm like, I'm really happy I'm here right now. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is the There's wildest no thing. There's no other place to wildest be right thing, Wildest thing, wildest thing. Okay, see, I told you we can't stay on a topic. No. We got from racism to ISIS, and I think I might have been racist in the middle of it, so <laughs> I think we did everything we came to do. Shit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my question is, um, and I, I know most of the answer, why, why doesn't therapy work for you, and... Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to the point where you were almost hospitalized? Um, I for any type of diagnosis. Yeah. Um, well, I had. I feel like again, self-diagnosed because I always lie to the doctors when I uh, shit hits to the wall because I know what I need. Get me home. Okay. Um, I yeah, you got that in you a little bit. Yeah, like we're you don't know me better than me, and um, yeah, I had <laughs> I, I had a I had a nervous so breakdown over the trip brother. in Mexico. I had a nervous breakdown over the trip in Mexico. I was, like, crying every night, like, drinking, like, wildly. And then the last day of the trip, I was literally throwing up every organ in my body. That's, like, when my whole, like, the vomit issues that I've been having, it started then. I was throwing up in the bathroom of an airport in Mexico City. I was throwing up in a paper bag on a plane. I was throwing up in an airport bag. I was throwing up everywhere. nobody... Like, did you tell anybody? There's, what are you going to do? You got to go home. I was flying home by myself. Like, it was just, you're on your own. You're on your own. You're on your own. That, did you get in a fight? No, 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 no. It was like, that was always the arrangement because it was October. I was still in school. I couldn't stay the whole time. Oh, I was always going to okay, leave so early. Yeah, I was like always going to leave early. Stress. And then I was like by myself, like literally having You throw up from stress. Right? Oh, yeah. I throw up. It's always, yeah. it's always gastro with me. Okay. okay. I either can't shit for a week or like everything's coming out of my mouth. You, we're the same. Oh, yeah. And, um, so I literally <laughs> you completely... Sure you're not Jew- Were you any part Jewish in the... 0.1%. Oh, 
<laughs> Not even, I mean, kind of. There's a woman named Ruth deep in there. Deep, Very deep. Deep. <laughs> Mrs. Feldman, I'm calling. I have a question and I'd it like to know. It sucks that your Jewish impression is better than mine. I, <laughs> call your grandma. I'd like you to leave. <laughs> out, out of my house. Uh, I'm turned off. I'm turned I'm off. Get the off. fuck out of my house, Larry Sally. David. Um, so I was just literally, I like, I remember being in the Uber from um, O'Hare Airport to my apartment, mm -hmm. just literally being like, I can't throw up for the next 45 minutes. Nate. I'm in rush hour traffic, and I cannot vomit for 45 yeah, minutes. This is, this, is, this is the worst thing that could ever happen to me. Like, <laughs> death is not the worst thing that could happen to me. Like Needing to vomit and not being able to for 45 minutes. How uncomfortable is that? Every time it happens. It feels like, you know, if you've ever heard someone who's had bariatric surgery talk about what it feels like when they overeat, it's like that. Like, if you have a gastric sleeve and you try to eat half a hamburger, mm -hmm. you, like, literally feel like the big beans are, like, behind your tongue. Oh, like, you just feel like fuck. everything's That's about to come awful. out. It, it's awful. And I lived, at that point in time, right next to the hospital, which is super helpful. Yeah. I literally called my friend who's my neighbor who literally lived on the same street as me and I'm like I'm kind of losing my fucking mind and I'm throwing up all the time and you should come to the hospital with me because I'm gonna walk by myself if you don't oh so that was your way of crying oh yeah I was just like someone needs to know somebody and I'm not telling a comedian because they can't know I'm crazy because they won't book me and then they'll write a Facebook post <laughs> I would sooner like vomit in the street and but have a nervous breakdown on the goddamn sidewalk than let some let someone I don't know that well that has any power over me Take a goddamn date off my calendar. I want twenty dollars and two vodka sodas. <laughs> that's yeah. that's my well, rationale. more of a. Um, they don't need to know you're unstable. It's not, but that's not even it. I think the more than the vodka soda and the twenty dollars because everyone wants that. I, dude, I trust me. I would totally. I love the twenty bucks and the whatever mm -hmm. here and there. But you know, I think it's an it's an ego thing, in the sense of you, and and me personally. You set out to do something and you had a goal. Mm -hmm. And when you're not doing it, it's like you're not meeting this expectation that you mm -hmm. have in your head. And when you don't meet an expectation, it's not like it's a rational thing where you're like, oh, no, I'm throwing up and I need help. You're like, no, that should never stop me from doing anything. Mm -hmm. Nothing stops me from doing I didn't anything. cancel a single show. No. The only time I have ever canceled a show over an emotional reason was the first time Nico broke up with me. I had three shows the next day. And I'm like, I'm not going to any of them. Not one. But no. that's like one time. And then also, I was going to say, too, for myself, we're very similar in that sense where... I came home from diving and mm -hmm. I missed school, but I was seven weeks into the quarter out of 10. And my parents were like, you probably paid like 20 grand. Like you need to finish the quarter. I finished it within like a month and a half or three mm -hmm. months. You yeah. can do whatever you got to do. No. They're like, and I was, baby, and I, we could have bought a shitty car or had you do this. And I had a suicide like, attempt yeah. in between that. And I finished in like three months and mm -hmm. I, st I was still off my rocker. No stopping and you. Like, no, but I still like got a, you know, above a 3.5 GPA. And I, was I fractured my kneecap and came to Chicago and walked all around the city on a college tour uh, with my fucking boyfriend the next month. Oh, my God. No, no cats, just painkillers, coffee, and prayer. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but, like, that was the only time I ever, like, because I literally made him, like, we went to the hospital together, and um, the, the, I didn't tell them that, like, I was, like, having like an emotional reaction or anything I was just like I needed to give you something for this vomiting I don't know what's from I was just in Mexico I need you to give me everything you can to stop vomiting I was just they could tell I was snappy but I think they just thought I was really like scared by how sick I was yeah and not okay. that I was crazy right Miles knew I was crazy my friend knew I was crazy yeah but the doctors don't know you and, no. and like you said you're like you're, you don't know me better than me uh -huh. you're not gonna tell me well like I could also literally have like if I have to have my shit together 
Like, I could pull a full Bradley Cooper in A Star is Born, piss my pants on stage, and I would finish my set. Like, I'm just, I'm not, I have, I'm I'm doing my job. And that's the OCD part, where you, the, the, what people don't realize, that's OCD, Mm -hmm. in a sense, because, you know, everyone thinks OCD is that cleaning and the neatness stuff, but. It's not allowing yourself to be a person. No, it's, (laughs) in, in, how, how it's diagnosed, and if people are wondering, it's because you took the thought of I have to meet this expectation to now I'm obsessed with it and I will do whatever it takes to get there and if I don't then the compulsion is trying to do it again and again until you feel fulfilled and the reality of it is you're never going to no unless you fulfill something else that really is what the root of the issue is absolutely yeah so it's like it's hard to um, you're not a real comic if you haven't shit your pants at an open mic no like you no. just you have to be willing to risk and it I've done that day. two years in yeah I've done that two years in yes. where I'm in an open mic and there's people that I want to you know, I have a new job. And you're whatever. just, like, literally sick and should not leave the house. No. And, and just, oh, okay, I got it. I've gone to a comedy bar and done a set, and I had a fever. I had, like, mm-hmm. 101, and I went up and did really well. I had a really good set there in a fever, too. Yeah. I think it's because you're too, you're so sick, you're, like, you're not on autopilot, but you're not in the way of yourself. You're a little delirious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you're also, you're even sillier. if you're not, exactly, even if you're not sick, when you're on stage, it's always hot, mm-hmm. you're sweating. Oh, the, the lights. It's, but the... Things that people don't realize about comedy, like, there's so many factors, too. When you, like, comedy bar and all these clubs are always cold. Yeah. But then when you get on stage, you're fucking hot. Mm-hmm. So you're like, okay, so I'm going to have a It's like a 20-degree shift from the green room to the, like, the seating area. Oh, it's yeah. weird. Oh, yeah. It's weird. It's weird. And then when you get on stage, you're also nervous, and then there's also lights on you, so you're hot. Mm-hmm. So it's like... And we're wearing makeup, which makes you sweat more. Exactly. And then you just come off, and you're like, I need my jacket again, but I'm also mm-hmm. hot. It's just... And then you need shit. And, and then you want to go like, outside. Yeah. For no reason. And you want to smoke. And yeah. Then, and then you come back. Yeah. And then you're also drunk, which gives you the sweat. So it's like a very <laughs> weird combination of It's a lot things. going on. It's a lot going on. But you like, it's that OCD thing of, I feel like if, in any career, not even just comedy, you do have to have a little bit of that time of unhealthy obsession. Yeah. Because that's how you start in the beginning. That's, that's how, how you, you build. Good. And then you learn to have a balance. Yeah. And that's like, you know when you hear... Like, no genius is ever not crazy. Mm-hmm. Completely true. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone who's made it has some weird story where they were obsessed and upset. I mean, even the Jerry Seinfeld thing where he, like, wrote for hours and hours and hours. And that writing could be his obsession. For you and me, mm-hmm. our obsession is getting gigs, getting on time, getting a certain amount of things done and getting our goals mm-hmm. done and going out three times a night. It's more of, yeah. like, the doing versus the writing mm-hmm. um, and the performing. So I think... Everybody has their own way of being obsessed with it, but that's all I think about. Yeah. How can I turn this into a joke? This is funny. What am I going to write? What am I going to do this? Okay, I'm, I'm done with yoga. i got to go to comedy. It's like you're always obsessed about it. I haven't really... I don't know how the quarantine has made you. I have been so turned off. Turned <laughs> well, off? I've been so turned off by comedy. I'm disgusted. It's not, it's not real. And I've gotten obsessed with work. I call you all the time and I'm like, man, I have to... I have to I'm, I'm freaking Someone's going to buy a donut. Like, (laughs) someone has to sign up on fucking Grubhub because I I get so um, obsessed with it and I realize it's because I miss comedy. Mm -hmm. Because it's, I'm focusing all my energy into something. Because your achievement goal thing used to be in two places. Mm -hmm. And it's not like you But it was all for comedy. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? So, like, every time I get a sale, I think about, okay, this is more money for New York. This is more money for Mm -hmm. getting the To be able to shoot this cool video. Yeah, exactly. To To be able to get my podcast equipment. To be able to uh, get headshots where I don't look like I'm, like, behind a screen. Right. (laughs) Film. Exactly. Or, like, yeah, it just nicer quality things. Yeah. And, And so, you know, I've met some of those goals, but this has really hindered it. And it's really made me feel like... You know, if I go back to I do old stuff, it's like mm-hmm. a very, um, 
interesting thing. When yeah. People are like, when people start, people it's start, it's start, reorienting. Yeah, when people start coming up to me going, what are your shows? And I was like, am I even doing that? Like, is comedy a thing anymore? Yeah. Like, it's a very... It's a very strange. I've heard some people announce that they're not accepting any shows until 2021, like they're the Queen of England. Oh like my god! Like I've heard, I've heard a lot of different shit. I feel like the way quarantine has affected me is the beginning of it. The first two months were like brain hell. Like I did not have a funny thought or a creative bone in my body. I just I couldn't. Like I couldn't. You're, you're doing nothing. Like March, April, most of May, couldn't. And then suddenly, I just sort of feel like I had done like a lot of the rest I guess that I need to do like it's sort of okay because I had literally either been singing doing jokes or like have some sort of homework project something to write something to learn something to for 10 years 11 years since I was 11 years old I've had Russian music to learn until Mm -hmm. midnight like so the whole idea of like I just all I have to do is go to work and then close the laptop like yeah. I needed three months of that. I needed that. I'd never had it, it before. Feels good, doesn't I'd it? never had it before. It was beautiful. Yeah. And then the light switch turned on where I wanted to write again. Yeah. And I felt like I have two really new good bits that I'm excited about mm-hmm. and that I've been able, I've even had some live shows during this right. and I've been able to get a lot of zoom stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been really surprised. I feel like because, um, it's encouraged my social media presence a little bit. Yeah. Not that I even have more followers, but I'm just much more engaged. Yeah. And it's led to more people engaging with me and asking right. me to do shit for them. Right. I just did a fundraiser for the ACLU last night, helped them raise over $700, yeah, um, which was awesome. really cool. And I literally made uh, Pat Troyer turn purple. Like, he was laughing so hard. He literally went from white to peach to red to purple. It was, <laughs> like, uh, uh, the, the, the blonde guy from um, Irish Oak. Truer. I said Troyer. Okay. okay. I, I think yeah. every, I think I say everything. I say everything with a German accent because um, I'm scared. Dude, so how do you think cuz we'll wrap it up soon, but how do you think um quarantine has affected your mental health? Um I have really since about that last long depressive episode yeah. that I had when I was like 19 and 20, okay. I've really kind of had a pretty limited social life. Like, I kind of, I go to work, and then I do shows, and I hang out with my friends at shows, and then I go home. Mm -hmm. So, like, the whole, and so getting to work from home, like, I've just kind of always been to myself and a little bit isolated and a little bit guarded. Mm -hmm. And so I just feel like this enables me to do that on the highest possible level. And my (laughs) flim-flam bullshit selling very well online. So (laughs) I I feel like it's sort of, um, I don't want to say it's helped me, because I feel like that would be so fucking condescending and awful to the people who like literally are like relapsing and getting their ass beat by their boyfriend right now but like I I feel like it has really not been as much of a negative for me as it's been for a lot of people yeah that's good that's good I um definitely agree with that I think sometimes we're we're not taking the time to acknowledge that um there are like people are fucking dying and I think it's annoying think of all the kids who are not eating right now because there's no school lunch yeah. Just think about that. And summer's already happening, so that sucks. But, I mean, just innocent children, access to food's interrupted three months earlier. What, yeah. what, what? Well, well, not only that, but I, I, it's hard when you, you listen to people who are wealthier, and, and then they talk about, oh, I'm so bored, and, and, and I'm so this. And, okay. and you've got to, right, <laughs> but you've got to think about why are you bored. Yeah. Because there's a pandemic. Okay, what's the pandemic? People are fucking dying. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to sit here and complain that you're bored, look, we all get wrapped up in our own bubbles and there's been plenty of times where we're like, God, I fucking wish I could just get on stage again. But I'm like, well, what does that mean? We have to solve this 
fucking thing. It's a Look huge at what thing. just happened to D.L. Hughley in Nashville. He got yeah. on stage. He passed out. He was slurring, and then he fell off the stool, and then they treated him for exhaustion. It was COVID. Oh, really? Yeah, and the Nashville Zanies is like a big club. Wait, like, it seats a lot. This happened where? What? Yes, this, I saw this online. The article oh, was yesterday dude, morning, so I think it happened, like, Friday night, maybe? Holy shit. That just happened. Scary. Like, it's terrifying. So, now, think of everyone who works there. All the audience, all those people, you know, he might he might have been one of those people, because some of the big names like to do the meet and greet before, because they don't do two shows. <gasps> so, oh, I don't know fuck. if he did, but that's a possibility. Right. That's right. a possibility. Yeah. You know? And, that, and that's the thing where it's like, that really brings you back to life, where you're like, oh shit, this is crazy. There's 600 and people right. who all they wanted to do was get a drink and hang out with their girlfriend and have a good time, yeah. who now have to wait 14 days and to see if they're going to live or die. Okay, yep. okay. So you're tired of homeschooling your son that yep. you got in vitro to have? Don't you love it when people who tried to have kids for six years bitch about them? It's so funny to me. Like, you, that's a $150,000 baby, and yeah, he has a cleft lip. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly, exactly. And I, um, it's, it is sad to not be doing, you know, what we mm-hmm. want. And, and most of the time, yeah, we're, we're, the demographic we're dealing with are people who are going to complain. Oh, totally. Yeah, that, just because it's, you know. We complain on a 20s. very sophisticated level. That's comedy. Yeah, and we're in our 20s and we're going to want to say, oh, I wish I could be doing this or I wish I could be doing that. And but we're like, never going to look any better or be any younger and it's just no. not good enough for us. No, exactly. Yeah, and it's, yeah. and especially with things opening back up and I'm scared. I went to a couple protests mm-hmm. and I wanted to ask you too, like, how has this, um, has this triggered you in any way in the sense of, like, people not bringing up your race when we're trying to, like, we're literally going through a civil rights movement? Um, I am, I'm really welcoming all the conversations that are happening. Okay. But I sort of, I feel like the black conversations that have been had for the past 30 years have been about mixed people. So I'm completely fine letting everybody else, like, like, I, I don't need to make this one about me. Like, and that's a very rare impulse for me. But I don't, like, I kind of don't need to make this about me because a cop does not look at me and immediately think that I'm black. A lot of white people do not immediately think I'm black. I've dated guys that are uh, so dark that people see them and jump because it's a shock. Um, I see that with St. James. Yeah, yeah. 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 Where they're just like, it's upsetting. He's dark skinned. Yeah, and they don't know how to handle that. And so I don't have that life experience. I'm not as likely to get profiled. I only get profiled when I'm going through an airport because I wear a head wrap because I don't want them digging in my hair. They can touch the top, don't dig oh, in my hair. Oh, and then they and automatically know. <laughs> I look whatever you're racist against. So, like, I feel like my experience is not necessarily need one that needs the biggest light shined on it right now. I like right. talking about the stuff that happened to my family because I feel like those are tropes about mixed people that need to be broken down that we all come from racially progressive families and everything was fine and like we all have money and can i ask you a question yeah so and i completely understand where you're coming from but i do think you know i acknowledge you and i you know want to talk about that stuff with you and never make you feel like this isn't about you because it is and you know you are black and you've had experiences where people don't even acknowledge the fact that you're black so Mm -hmm. that's even worth talking about in itself but I wanted to ask you um this a lot of the stuff that I studied in psychology I took like really cool like classes that were deep into psychology Mm -hmm. I took an LGBTQ psychology class and they said that um (laughs) no we learned that they feel you know that they don't belong to the gay community they don't belong to the straight community Mm -hmm. and they feel ostracized and typically I don't know if this shocks anybody but they do have the highest suicide suicide rates out of people who are bisexual Mm -hmm. and gay men and gay women Mm -hmm. both you know yeah yeah because they 
don't feel like they belong. And yeah. the, the biggest part of, and obviously you can attest to this, um, of being gay and coming out is having a community that is there for you and to support you mm-hmm. and make you feel like everything's okay and you don't, you're not alone. But yeah. when you're bisexual, you might not feel like you belong to either. Yeah. So my question is, like, have you felt that about being mixed at all? I feel like a lot of people who are older than me have had that experience of being mixed. Okay. I feel like a lot okay. of people who, like, might be in, like, their, like, 30s, 40s, 50s right now. Yeah. Uh, 30s is even maybe pushing it. Okay. Um, kind of had that experience, like, uh, like I don't know, watch Mariah Carey interview. Like, that's a real, like, classic example of how it was, like, in the 80s. Okay. Um, but for me, I always felt very accepted by black people. Okay. That was just discouraged by my white family. Okay, so your family was completely separate from this. Yeah. It seems like it, they were a, they were obviously suppressing you, but it was mm-hmm. separate from the fact that that didn't really affect how you went out into the world. Well, because I... Because you uh, knew it was wrong. Well, I also... When I was about five, I'd figured out I was smarter than all of them. Okay. So I just started tuning everything out because I just remember thinking one time... Because my mom has had... I don't know. I haven't seen her in 20 years. Who knows? Um, 20 is an exaggeration. More like nine. But um, she has a drug issue. And she would, like, when I was a kid, like, four or five, she'd just leave for, like, days at a time. And, like, I just remember being, like, six and being, like, my grandma bought this trailer and then just left me and my mom alone in it. And she knows that my mom's like this. Okay. They all saw this coming. So they, they're, yeah. Yeah, so I just sort of, I really you just, did. I had that you sense did. at like first grade that it's like, oh, okay, I'm seeing everything that everyone else is. And I'm on, like, I just, I, okay. Like, I'd figured it out that I was smarter than all of them by, before okay. I could, like, okay. divide. Well, that's incredible. But it's Think about, terribly upsetting. Of course, and it's terrifying, and obviously contributing to have anxiety and depression, yeah. and the OCD of always needing to be perfect and kind of mm-hmm. thing with you. But I, I think it's so incredible that you realize, like, because you're a fucking kid. Mm-hmm. When you're six years old, you're not thinking, "Why are my parents doing this to me?" That's all you know. I really feel like there was just something deep down, deep in there. Uh, again, I believe in G slash D. I really do. I really do. Um, I. I felt like I was given a lot of talents and a lot of different talents yeah. and a lot of natural intelligence to get out of that situation. Yeah. I was supposed to be in there for whatever, mm-hmm. but like I got everything I needed to get out. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. And then makes also sense. when I look at my sister's kids and I think maybe my nephew might be a little bit like me in the uh, like in boys department yeah. and my niece is definitely black. If I had to go through all that to be able to help them with their lives, cool. Sucked for me, but uh, right. that's not the point. Yeah, that's amazing. Because, you know, we do know people who can't get over it and can't handle it and can't process it. They have no place to compartmentalize it. They have no outlet. Yeah. And I really, I could really be miserable over everything that happened. Of course. And of course. I, I, I've had every occasion to. I think a lot of people wouldn't even live through it. Yep. But um, I'm real focused on everything that happened once I got control of my life. Yeah. Because once I wasn't a child anymore and I got You're my hands on the steering wheel, yeah. everything was fine. And everything got that, really yeah. good really fast, actually. Yeah. So I just... I feel like I can get myself here. They I, don't have anything to yeah. do with me. I, I don't... Nothing they say is... They raised me to not need... They raised me to not need them, and I don't. Yep. Yeah. They raised me to not even... To not even feel like I was a part of anything. Mm -hmm. Um, People had always asked my mom when I was a kid, like, who she was babysitting. Um, People would ask my... Someone asked my sister to my face when I was, like, 12. So, is he, like, a project for, like, the Boys and Girls Club downtown or something? Mm -hmm. Like... Uh. She's like, no, that's my fucking family. Like... Uh. Like... 
so it's just, it's always a thousand little things. And you can either be hurt by it or say, once I got the driving wheel on my life, I made all the choices I wanted to make, and I started saying fuck you to everyone who needed to hear it. Yeah. Good for you. So. Yeah. That's where I took the power back. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, we're going to wrap it up. Do you have any shows you want to plug that are upcoming or? Um, I am going to be in the comedy bar in Dubuque, Iowa at <laughs> some time in July. Me and oh, the yeah. owner are texting. I'm going to get out. We'll figure it <laughs> out. Works right but now. if you're in Iowa, just ask them when the gay guy's coming and someone will tell you. <laughs> Like, you can call 411 and just be like, when is the gay black guy from Chicago coming? And they're going to be, they're going to have a date and a time and a GPS location. So, yeah. Okay. They'll be selling guns by the same TikTok, uh, information. Uh, TikTok. My, my TikTok and TikTok. Instagram is Matt Brown Comic. And also, I have images on my Instagram of uh, me being the new Aunt Jemima. And if you want to screenshot that and make yeah. me go viral, because it's already doing it's well on my funny. shit. Um, cause it's time, it's time to replace Aunt Jemima. And if I also did a really fun episode on the paper machetes audio magazine oh, nice. that just came out on okay. the June 20th. Okay. And so if you check the June 20th episode, I'm the second to last. I'm the feature episode. Nice. And, okay. um, it's all about Aunt Jemima and Uncle Ben and Mrs. Butterworth. Love it. I'm okay, really Explain upset. the type paper machete for those uh, who don't know. So the paper machete is this wonderful, like a uh, show that, uh, has like a live show when the world's open and right. then this podcast that's always supplementary to cool. the live show. Yeah. And people are encouraged to rate uh, short bits, either five to seven minute pieces that are uh, based in the news or based in a current events topic right. or a political topic. Yeah. And so it's nothing you really have ever seen before, and it's always really right in the moment. And I'm really, really proud of the piece I wrote because he asked me to do it last minute because he's like, your Facebook is so good and you are writing so much and it's so consistently funny. I know you can do this in a night. Because he literally texted me the night before and That's he's awesome. like, "You have, to, I need five minutes segment for me tomorrow and I know you can do it. Hell yeah, dude. So, Paper Machete, Comedy Bar in Dubuque, Iowa. Um, this is the first episode since, uh, like, the world shut down. Mm -hmm. So, please support, tell your friends about Doing Time Podcast at Doing Time Podcast on Instagram. I don't really know the Twitter, to be honest. It's probably at Doing Time Podcast. I hate Twitter. Could be. Um, TikTok at Doing Time Podcast. Um, and then subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, and you can listen to it on Spotify. And Twitter's not safe for Jewish girls. Look at Roseanne. <laughs> and thank you for listening to Doing Time.